Welcome to Activate with Pastor Christian Newsom, a podcast of Journey Church International. Thanks for listening to the Activate Podcast, a ministry of Journey Church International here in Lee Summit, Missouri. My name is Brandon, and, to, and joining me today is Pastor Christian Newsom, lead pastor of Journey Church International. This week, we launched a brand new series as we count down to the Easter season. And this series is called The Lamb, Making Sense of Easter. Pastor Christian, we're starting this awesome new series heading heading into one of our favorite seasons of the year, and it's called The Lamb, Making Sense of Easter. You've been waiting to preach this series all year long, and it's one of your most, uh, it's the one you're most excited for, I think, for 2018. Can, can you tell us why? Yeah, I'll first ask you a question, okay? Far um, away, your, man. Your first... 10 seconds in heaven, what do you want to experience? My first 10 seconds in heaven. Mm. Uh, no pain. No, uh, I, I don't want to experience anything I experienced here on earth, all the negative piece, sure. uh, uh, negative things. Yeah. So, so, if I, so if I were to process that question, if somebody said, tell me the thing you're most excited about when you get to heaven, for me, it's to see Jesus. Like I just want to see Jesus. From from what I understand about Scripture and who Jesus is, the, sh- the streets of gold, I mean, w- heaven seems like a beautiful place in Scripture, right? There are no tears. There are no pain. Uh, streets of gold, gates of pearl, um, you know, a wall of diamond around this heavenly city of Jerusalem, um, the crystal sea. I, I wanted to tell you very few of those things have appealed to me spiritually. If I have to go to heaven in pain, in tears, for a limited amount of time, as long as I get to see Jesus, I'll be okay. I have such a desire to see Jesus and to know Jesus um, and to understand who he was and, and what he did um, in my life. And this is our first series of the year where, man, the entire series is really focused on Jesus. We talked about distractions in January, and we talked about some great spiritual truth from Jesus about how to take distractions out of our life so we could spend more time with Jesus and the things he says are important. Last month in February, we talked about a series called Broken, and we talked about how to manage our money in a way that would allow us to be on mission for Jesus. But this series is just about Jesus. It really is five weeks of understanding who Jesus is in a way that really allows us to make sense of Easter. And and here's how I would explain it. Uh, About six weeks into being a parent for the very first time, uh, I called my mom and my dad, but really my mom, uh, and I just said, thank you. Uh, I could have never understood until I had a child how many diapers you change, how much they cry, um, how much they keep you up at night. I, I could have never experienced what you experienced as a parent until I had my own child. Um, and then a few weeks after my son started kindergarten, I remember calling my dad um, and thanking him for the time he put in as a school teacher. And then when I started coaching my kids, I remember calling my parents and saying thank you all over again. And then when my kids started driving, um, I remember calling my parents. It's like all, all that I've experienced in life is helping me understand my mom and dad better. And I think what's going to happen this month at Journey is we're going to understand the experiences of Jesus in a way that really help us know him better. And I think the gratitude that we'll have for Jesus, the knowledge we'll have of Jesus, the intimacy and the relationship we'll have at the end of the month with Jesus will be far more than we have coming into it because we're going to get to experience 
all of who he is, not just here about Easter being about, you know, a cross and a grave, but really the spiritual meaning behind those things for for 1500 years leading into it. So I, I now want to change the answer to your question. <laughs> Thank you for that. Yes, I do too want to experience Jesus as well when I go to heaven. Yeah, that was a trick question that no, you were ready for. No, a good question. Good. Way to catch me off guard. So we uh, we talk specifically about uh, John chapter 1 in, right. this, in this message, and I, I want to know, and, and maybe the people listening to, to why is the book um, uh, of John, a book about Jesus, so different from the other books about Jesus? Sure. So we talked about the synoptic gospels a little bit. The word synoptic means the same. It's the word we get the, the word synonym from. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all all wrote books about the life of Jesus that have such similar content that they actually believe scholars that probably one of them was the source for the other two. Possibly Mark was written first, and then Luke as a historian um, leaned on that and then verified the evidence through eyewitnesses. Matthew, of course, was a disciple of Jesus. He would have seen it all personally, but possibly could have used some of Mark's content to, to shape his narrative and how he put things together. But John wrote his book not only differently, but in a different season. Matthew, Mark, and Luke really all were written in the first generation of the church to explain Jesus to people who weren't Christians. John wrote his book not only in the second generation of the church, but more than 50 years, maybe, after the other Gospels were written. So he was now speaking to the grandchildren of the first generation of Christians, and and he would have read Matthew and Mark and Luke. And as the youngest disciple of Jesus— and we think as one of the disciples who was closest to Jesus, Jesus had an inner, um, kind of an inner circle of his 12 disciples, three, Peter, James, and John. Um, John wanted to kind of get the Paul Harvey rest of the story out about Jesus. So John's gospel is 90% different than the other three gospels. It fills in a lot of the gaps. It's kind of like Jesus' friend who who wanted to make sure the world knew the things that were not yet known. So he writes this gospel, and in John twenty thirty one, he said, listen, all these things are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and so that believing him, you might have life in his name. So John wants us to know who Jesus is so that we'll follow him and have life in his name. But he writes a book with different content, trying to introduce us to the things about his friend and his Savior uh, that maybe the world didn't know, but he knew, and he wanted the world to know before all of those who were eyewitnesses and close friends of Jesus passed off the scene. So the book of John is a great place to go learn about Jesus because it is it is the filling in the blanks of the things that were really important to those close to him. So we talked a little bit about John this past Sunday, but throughout this series, we're going to be going back into the Old Testament and talk about some fairly significant or very significant events that took place in the life of Israel. Let me ask you this. How does God continue to give us the exact same pattern of following him that he gave to the people of Israel. Yeah, so the interesting thing that a lot of people don't know that we were able to point out in this message is the people of Israel that God rescued in Egypt were people who did not know God, right? I mean, this this was a generation who had spent 400 years without any personal connection to God. They 
They knew that their ancient ancestors were, you know, related to God in some way, were, were people of God in some way, but they, they had no idea who God was. There was no Bible. There was no Ten Commandments. There were no prophets. There were no priests. I mean, they knew, they knew so little about God that when God came to Moses, Moses said, what's your name? Like, who, who do I tell people sent me? We're, we're not even quite sure who you are and what you're all about. Uh, and we still live in a world today that is unsure who God is and what God is all about. But I believe deep in the heart of every man and every woman, um, there is this understanding. Solomon in Ecclesiastes 3.11 said it's been planted in our heart. He called it eternity. There's this thought that there's something more to life. Um, and, and Scripture says even in nature, looking at the stars, looking at the mountains, looking at the sunset, there's this overwhelming sense that there's something bigger. There's something supernatural. So the Israelites knew they had a God, but they knew nothing about him. And when they began to look for and cry out to that God, he began to show up in their life. Um, they didn't understand him at first, but what they began to understand as they watched the power of God is that there was a distinction in his power and that it was shaped towards loving and protecting and connecting to them. So not only did they realize there was a God, they realized there was a God who was moving. They realized there was a God moving on their behalf. Uh, and they realized there was a God who had given them the choice to follow him and be protected and to have life or to continue to live in the bondage they were living in. And 3,500 years ago, um, in Egypt, a generation of Israelites stepped out to do that. And I, I believe it's the exact same today. People today, living in the bondage of debt, just got done talking about it, right? People today living in the bondage of busyness, we just got done talking about that. People living in the bondage of dysfunctional families, we're going to talk about that in May. People living in the bondage of just kind of drifting spiritually and paying for the consequences of that, we're going to talk about that in April. People living in the bondage of feeling like they don't have any purpose in life, we're going to talk about that in August. People living in the bondage of just feeling like they're weak, life has worn them out, we're going to talk about that in October. Like all of those things, all of those things that allow us to live in bondage, the answer to all of them is Jesus. And whether it was 3,500 years ago, presented as a lamb, or whether it was 2,000 years ago when we got to learn his name and it was Jesus, or whether it's now, um, we find God reaching out to humanity in the same way now as he did then, and we find God continuing to reach out to humanity for the rest of time in the same way um, that he does now, and that he wants to go to a people in bondage. He wants to show him his love, his power. He wants to show them that he would choose to have a relationship with them, and then give them the choice to decide to do that. So you um, mentioned a few of those words like debt, lack of purpose, feeling weak, dysfunctional family. Right. Uh, a lot of people might have been saying, ah, got that, check, got right. that, check. I've got problems. Right. I've got problems in my life. Um, you made a significant statement. You said, you said to understand what God is trying to do in our problems, we have to change our question. Can you, can you expand on that a bit? Yeah. So we talked about, you know, the, the people of Israel, the plagues of Egypt also came on the people of Israel, right? Like their water was turned to blood. Um, they experienced the plague of gnats. They experienced the plague of flies. Um, they experienced the, the, the plague of frogs. Like, all these plagues, which would have troubled them, didn't just come on the people of Egypt. They came on the people of Israel. And they came on the people of Israel at a time when they weren't even sure who their God was. Remember, Moses didn't even know his name. Um, so they would have been thinking, 
you know, why is God doing this? Right? Like we're a people who lives in the, the desert of Africa. They relied on the Nile, just like the Egyptians for their flocks and their herds. They, they would have been thinking, God, why, why are you doing this? But when you look at how the people of Israel, even in their bondage, um, always lived right on the border of problems becoming promise, if they would have seen God, we realize that eventually when a distinction was made in the plagues, the people of Israel went from asking the question, why is God doing this, to asking the questions, what is God doing in this? And if we would begin to look at our problems and realize that because of God, we have hope, right? We're not like, Paul says, we're not like the world who has no hope. We have hope. We also have problems. We experience the plagues just like everyone else. The people of God and people who don't love God. They both experience the plagues, the problems, the heartache of life. People without God say, why would God do this? People who believe that God is always working should ask the question, what is God doing in this. And when the people of Israel stopped asking why and they started asking what, instead of questioning God, when they begin to question what God was doing for them instead of what God was doing to them, they begin to realize that our problem is getting ready to turn into promise if we will just move forward following God. The plagues are not gone, but God has shown up, and the problem can turn into the promise if we will shift our perspective from why is God doing this to what is God doing in this and realize the internal character that's being developed and the future we have following God. We always live on the boundary between the problem and the promise, and if we will follow God, he will always push us towards the promise. But we have to change the question. What is God doing in this? Whatever problem you're facing today, wherever you're listening to this today, if you're having a bad day, stop right now and say, what could God be doing in this? What does God want to teach me in this? What could God teach me in this? How is this problem helping me discover his promise if I will trust him and follow him? So I love what this series is going to do, and I, know, I love what you started to do this past Sunday. Um, you have a, a great ability to connect dots from the Old Testament to significant things in the New Testament and to our lives today. So uh, the question is this, how can a night in Egypt 35 years ago, 3,500 years ago, a night in Israel 2,000 years ago, and a night this spring all be the same? Yeah, that's a great question, and our introductory verse gives it to us. John um, John the Baptizer, John the Baptist, uh, was quoted by John the Apostle. So it's interesting that John is quoting John. Um, and John introduced his cousin Jesus to the world this way, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That question, uh, how can a night in Egypt 3,500 years ago, a night in Israel 2,000 years ago, and a night this spring all be the same? That question can only be answered in understanding Jesus as the Lamb of God. 3,500 years ago, there was no such thing as the Lamb of God. But when that 10th plague came on the people of Egypt, and for the first time, the people of Israel were given a choice of whether or not they wanted to be protected from the plague or whether or not they wanted to experience it. Um, they were given a substitution. And this plague of the death of the firstborn, God says, you get a choice. The Egyptians aren't going to have a choice, but you have you have a choice. You have a choice whether to choose a substitute that is a perfect lamb and to kill it, or to let the firstborn son, daughter, flocks, and herds die. You actually have a choice of whether to choose a substitute or to personally experience this. That happened 3,500 years ago. 
in this term Passover was coined because God says you have, you have a, you have a choice of whether you want to have a substitute. And if you will take this substitute and you will choose for it to die rather than for your son or your daughter, or if you're the oldest son in your family for you to die, and you will take some of its blood and you will put it on the sides of the door and on the top of the door, like we did on Sunday, we painted it and we showed it at our church. And if you will go inside I'll pass, I'll pass over you. And when I pass over and see that you have chosen a substitute, I will pass over. I'll see its blood. Its blood will remind me that you wanted the substitute to die rather than you. And I'll let you live. That's what happened 3,500 years ago. And then every year on that same date, the Jewish people would celebrate the pass over. It really is two words passed over. They combined it into one, the Passover festival. Uh, On twilight, right before Passover, they would sacrifice a lamb who would be a substitute. He would die instead of the people. That's what they were celebrating. Um, they They would allow themselves to stay inside, and they would say the blood of the substitute uh, is what we are choosing to cover us so that we can live. Jesus was killed on the day before Passover began. On twilight, of Passover, when the Passover lamb was being slaughtered, Jesus was being taken off the cross. And 2,000 years ago, the Lamb of God, that's what John called him, the lambs of God all over Israel and all over the world were being slaughtered at Passover, but Jesus died as the Passover lamb of God so that anyone who would choose him as a substitute, God, I know my sin deserves death, but if you'll, if you'll allow his death to count for mine and allow me to live under the blood of his forgiveness, then God, I will follow Jesus and stay with him and he can be my substitute. That's what happened 2000 years ago. And it happens every Easter. Christians, when they really understand the gospel, they don't celebrate Easter. They celebrate Passover. They celebrate the true and real Passover that God symbolized in Exodus chapter 12. God said, this is going to happen for real. Right now, it's just a lamb. But one day, one day you're going to look for the perfect lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And one day for real, there's going to be a sacrifice for you that is a substitute. And if you will say, I want you to choose his death instead of mine, you're not just going to live for a night. You're going to live forever. And when Passover happens this year, again, we don't just celebrate Passover. We celebrate the completion of Passover. We call it Easter because on Sunday, Jesus rose from the dead, but it was a process 1500 years in the making people looking for a substitute who would die in their place. People looking for a lamb whose blood would cover theirs. That's coming next year. Um, People can choose to have the substitute die in their place this Easter, this Passover, just like they did that night in Egypt, just like they did that night in Israel. Um, And they can do it any day of their life when they realize sin deserves death, but you get a choice. You can have a substitute die for you if you want, but then you have to live under his blood. You have to live under his direction. You You have to live under his protection. But if you choose to do that, God will pass over you and give you life. It's all the same story. Passover, Easter, and my personal Christianity and yours. It's the story of the Passover, and it's made possible by the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Well, I know the listeners can hear your excitement, 
about this series and about this message. I can feel your excitement um, just recording this podcast today. Will you will you kind of share with us what's coming up next in the Slam series? Yeah. So my so my message next week is called Sinks and Mirrors. In two weeks, we've got a message called The Wizard of Oz. In three weeks, our message is called Let's Eat. Um, and then our message Easter weekend is called Step Into Life. So next week, we're going to look at sinks and mirrors. We're going to look at how the God, how God made possible for people to worship him, come to him and be around him. We're going to look at a little bronze basin that he set up in a courtyard and learn how God used sinks and mirrors to teach people to reflect upon him, teach people how to reflect upon themselves and teach people to understand sin and sacrifice and how Jesus makes it possible to be close to God. Because when we realize our sin, when we realize his sacrifice, and we put those two things together, Jesus cleanses us from sin and connects us to God. That's what's coming next week. And the rest of the series, just every week, is going to introduce you to a deeper level of Jesus than you ever knew, and hopefully make sense of Easter in a way that you that you never even understood, to hopefully give you the greatest spiritual Easter you've ever had. That's great. We're looking forward to it. And so, Pastor Christian, thank you for sharing that with us today. And we are so thankful that you took the time to listen to the podcast today. We pray that our conversation today was helpful to you as you prepare for this Easter season as well. Um, And as always, if you ever have any questions, please don't hesitate to send us an email to activate at takethejourney.cc, and we will do our best to reply back quickly to those. Uh, We hope to catch you next time on the Activate Podcast, where we challenge you to build a faith that is active. Thank you for listening to Activate with Pastor Christian Newsom, a podcast of Journey Church International. If you are ever in the Kansas City area, we would love for you to join us for one of our Sunday worship experiences. You can find out more information about JCI on our website at takethejourney.cc. Also, if you have enjoyed this podcast, help us get the word out and show your support by subscribing, rating, and reviewing on iTunes or Google Play. Please share this episode with all your friends on social media. Thanks again for listening, and we will catch you next time on the Activate Podcast.